Well, last week we were in our second week talking about choices, and uh, I read this to you. This will be three weeks in a row, so maybe we'll start to remember it, but uh, John Maxwell says, life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. And in other words, we will eventually be defined by the choices we make in our life. And today I want to talk about choices that will change our life, that will change our lives forever. Uh, this week, I met with a, a friend of mine, and I can't really say he's a close friend because we only meet like maybe every six months at the most. I haven't seen him for at least six months. And, and we met kind of randomly in our neighborhood over by the high school. Um, his brother and sister-in-law were our neighbors and friends of ours, and, uh, and Jose came to visit them, and we got connected and became friends, started going to have coffee together, and he's one of those guys that he just kind of he kind of sharpens me, and hopefully maybe a little bit I might sharpen him, but uh, we like talking. And so this last week, he, uh, he called and said, hey, I'm going to be in town, let's talk. And so I went, and, and we were talking, and I, I shared with him that my dad had just passed away the week before, and, and uh, we were talking about the influence of our dads on our life, and mine was incredibly positive. You that have been here for a while, you know the influence my dad had on my life, and then, but he had a completely different uh, you know, experience growing up. In fact, because of his dad, he left home at 17 years old and went out into the working world just to get out from under his dad's influence. And so for years um, growing up, when he was first married, he had no connection with his dad. And he went through about three years where he didn't talk to his dad at all. They, they literally were angry with each other and wouldn't talk to each other. And then about a year before his dad passed away, uh, Jose felt bad and reached out and they reconnected and he had this time that he kind of talked to his dad and share but but he talked about how having that influence affected everything in his life and he said I poured myself into work and he he basically has been at the same job for 40 years since he was 17 imagine that leaving home getting a job and staying in the same company all that time but now he's like second command has a vacation home in Carlsbad which is kind of cool right but he's uh, he's he, he started talking about this influence that his dad had and what a negative influence it was on his life and so he was married and he had three daughters from his first marriage and he said I lived just like my dad taught me said, I didn't make the right choices. I spent way too much time at work. I, I ignored my wife and, and my kids. And because of it, his marriage ended and his kids weren't real fond of him. And so he has three adult daughters that just recently um, he had to reach back out to and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I was. And they've rebuilt this relationship. And then Jose got remarried and he marries a, a this, this really nice girl, and she wants to have kids. So he's got three adult daughters, and now he has a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And I just say, oh, my gosh, Jose, <laughs> you've got to be exhausted, right? Having two, two families, but he's done this amazing job of connecting with his adult daughters. But now he said, I'm a different man. He calls himself Jose 2.0. And I, I, I love that because he said, that's who I was. And then I realized I didn't have to be my dad. I didn't have to let that influence affect me. And so I decided to be a better person, uh, both in his relationship with his family and in his relationship with God and everything. He became Jose 2.0. I love thinking about it that way because all of us, at some point, we have to make that choice, don't we? We go, you know what? I've been this way, but that's not who I want to be. And I, personally, I'm probably on Chris like, 
11.0, I don't know, because I've had to do it so many times and go, I don't like that. I don't like doing that. And you have to make these choices that are going to change your life for the good. Uh, now, last week we talked about choosing success, and I feel like these two things go hand in hand. So I want to talk about this idea of choosing success, making these choices that will change your life. And again, Ephesians 2.10 Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, we are uniquely created by God to do what? It says to do the things that he planned for us to do. So, so God created us to do things. And, and, and for us, that's what success is. It, if we can take our desires and what we do in life and, and do it with the way God created us, that's the sweet spot, right? Uh, that's Chris 2.0, Jose 2.0. That is the perfect place to be. Uh, last week, I defined success like this. When the person you're striving to become is the same person that God created you to be. When those two come together, that is success. It doesn't mean you're there. You're striving to be that person. Now, the Apostle Paul is a unique person. He, first of all, he wrote 13 of the New Testament books, which is pretty amazing. And, and so we hold Paul up as this example of how to live the Christian life. And, and what's amazing about Paul is Paul, like my friend Jose, had one version of him. And then later he had a much better version of himself. The, the first version of Paul, Paul thought he was chasing success. You see, Paul was raised in a home that was a very Jewish home, and, and he became a Pharisee. And what a Pharisee was is they were an extreme Jewish person. that They had 613 laws that they followed to the T, and if they, uh, if they didn't, they were humiliated. They judged other people that didn't. And, and Paul lived in this life. He became the best Pharisee that he could become because he thought that was success. And Paul was so driven to become this Pharisee that it came to the point where he literally killed people that weren't Pharisees. And so the, the new Christian church, the followers of Jesus, were being persecuted by Paul and the people under him. He was killing them because he was so adamant about his way, about the way he did things. Now, if you know the story in Acts, Paul goes from breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus to all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, God appears to him and knocks him to the ground. And, and, and there he speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? You've got to stop doing this. And in that moment, in that moment, Paul had this, this choice to make. He could continue to be who he is or he could go, no, I, I need to be this new Version. Paul obviously decided to follow Christ. You can imagine even the, the people that were followers of Jesus were scared of Paul. <laughs> when he first told them that he had changed, they were afraid of him because he was so intense in who he was. But now, Paul 2.0 is a completely different person. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes through this whole thing of why he was such a good Jewish person person why he was such a good pharisee it's this whole list even including how he was born full-blooded and this and that and that and all these things of why he was the best at at his area of expertise which was being a pharisee but then from there he goes on and he says this in philippians 3 7 he says but whatever were gains to me i now consider loss for the sake of christ 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You see what Paul is saying is that old me and all the things that I held dear, all the things I was chasing after that I thought was success, what I was supposed to do, it's worthless. It has no value to me. The only thing that has value now is knowing Christ. You see, even though Paul was incredibly successful, he was aiming at the wrong thing. And then he goes on and he says, and being found in in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul's number one focus has become to know Jesus. That is now his definition of success. He wants to know Christ more than anything else. And everything else, he's saying, has no value to him. And for you and I, honestly, success begins in that same spot, in knowing Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, we can't know who he created us to be. We have to begin with knowing him. And here's what Paul says about that and about his own pursuit for success. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I love it that he says, take hold of that. Basically, this is why I was created. And he says, I'm not there yet. I'm striving for it. And and again, these two things are coming together for Paul. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here Paul is literally pursuing what he was created to do. What he believes God created him to do. And it begins with his desire to know him. And so Paul had this new definition of success for himself. Paul 2.0. And last week I talked about we all need our own personal definition of success. We need to know what we're aiming at. And again, I'll tell you, success is when the person you're striving to become is the same person that God created you to be. You need to know who God created you to be. You need to know him and your desires and how he created you come together. And when you're chasing that, that is success. Now here's what I feel like is my takeaway from what Paul tells us here in Philippians. And it it begins with what I just said. It starts with your creator. It starts with you must know Jesus. And and then the second part of that is you decide and and define what success is to you is you have to forget what people want you to be and you also have to forget what you've been pretending to be and I think we all do both of those things so often when I was a kid I remember uh, from very young my dad basically said you're going to be a football coach like me and believe me I wanted to be a football coach like my dad I desired that more than anything And, and then after I I graduated, I'd I'd actually been called into the ministry, and I went back and said, no, I want to be a football coach. That's all I want to do. And I went back, and I I coached with my dad, and I coached for a while. But I began to realize, although I loved it, that wasn't who God created me. And and I was disappointed 
<laughs> because that's who I wanted to be, but that's not who God created me to be. And, and I had to be able to say, you know what? I'm not my dad. Man, I love my dad. What an amazing person, but that's not me. I, I'm someone different. And, and then from there, in all my, my young wisdom, I decided, well, my brothers are in the business world, and they make lots of money. One of them's in insurance, and the other one sells medical supplies, and they make lots of money. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And so I pursued that. And, and I went after the, this, this salesman stuff in the business world, and I did that for four or five years, and I was terrible at it. <laughs> and I had to come to the conclusion, you know what? I'm not my dad, and I'm not my brother's. I'm not this person that other people want me to be. I'm not the person I'm pretending to be. I'm me. I'm just who God created me to be. And when you get to that point and you know Christ, then you can go, okay, I'm going to wipe that slate clean. That's, that's back there. That has no value. What is it moving forward? What does God want from us moving forward? We need to define it and we need to go after it. We need to pursue success the same way Paul did. He was striving to get there. And so we are uniquely created by God. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are God's masterpiece. And I've shared this before, but I just love the picture of an artist or a sculptor making this masterpiece. And you can imagine someone that's made a masterpiece, how long it would take them to make it and, and how many times they would go back and maybe add one more brush stroke or, or chip off one more piece of wood until they finally look at it and go, yes, that is what I wanted. And I imagine as God created you and I that that's what he did. That he carved us out and he made us and, and created us just how he wanted until he stepped back and said, yes. That's it. That's what I wanted. And, and, and imagine how God feels when we try to be somebody else instead of who he created us to be. And, and what we need to remember is our success does not mean that everyone's going to view us as successful. And that's frustrating to me because I want everyone to say, wow, you're successful, but that's not the way it works. Uh, popularity doesn't mean success. Uh, Jesus tells us success is actually going on a road less traveled. According to Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. You know, I read that and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to follow that narrow road. I'm going to go on that path less, less traveled, right? And Until all of a sudden you're in the herd of people and somehow you've got to get out of that herd, right? And all of a sudden that becomes a little bit more difficult. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I used to go to the high schools at lunchtime and I would have FCA, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we'd meet in one of the coaches' rooms uh, but quite often, I would get there at the wrong time. I'd try to get there early before lunch hit. Because if I would get there at, as the bell rang, all these kids at Frontier High School would come pouring out of the building, walking to the cafeteria, and you couldn't even get through this crowd. They were all going in the same direction. They were hungry teenagers, right? That's a little bit scary all in itself. And so here we are, they're, they're going, and I'm somehow trying to weave my way through this crowd in the wrong direction, trying to get back to one of the classrooms. And just recently, I've, I've thought, you know, I, I never really, I think, gave the kids that came to that classroom with me to, to talk about Jesus enough credit. 
Because here's everyone going in that line. What a perfect picture of the wide road, right? They're all going in the same direction. And somehow these kids have to step out of that, step away from their friends and make their way over to this classroom. They had to come to the place where not many people were. And, and that is, as human nature, it's difficult for us to take the path less taken. And because it's ingrained in us. In fact, I read an article this week in Psychology Today, and the, the article was this, The Science Behind Why People Follow the Crowd. It was very interesting. There's a couple studies done. The, the first study, they had people in a room for several hours. And when they first got in the room, they would ask them some questions, and, and everyone in the room got to hear their answers. And so they would ask them some questions, and then they would be in the room and, and talk to the other people for hours. And then they'd come back, and they would then be asked the same questions. And what they discovered in the first room, everyone with similar beliefs. They all answered basically the same questions in the same way. And while they were in that room, and, and when, when they came back to ask them questions, they discovered that these people with all these similar beliefs, their beliefs had deepened. Here they are talking to these people that kind of thought the same way they did. And as they talked to them, they got more excited and more impassioned about their beliefs. And, and they even became more extreme. And so when they answered the questions again, they were like in this even a, a more adamant place about answering these questions. And then there was another group. And in that group, they had people with maybe some different beliefs. They didn't all have the same beliefs, and they were asked questions at the beginning. And then they mingled together and talked together. And what they found in that group is that the people that had different beliefs, when they were asked the questions again, they weren't quite as adamant or they talked softer while they answered the questions, some of the people changed their minds altogether about how they believed in that short time with people that thought differently than they, they do. And basically the article is saying the reason this happens because human nature, the way we're designed as humans, we follow the crowd. We have a herd mentality. There's another story in that article that this one just fascinates me. But the petrified forest, not 100% sure where that is, but it's in the United States somewhere. And obviously there's petrified wood in the forest. So in the petrified forest, people go there to look at the dead trees, I guess. So they walk through the petrified forest, and there's this big sign they have up in the forest because they have this problem of people stealing the wood. And they want to bring home, you know, a little memory of their time in the petrified forest. And so they have this big sign up, and here's what the sign says. Your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft losses of petrified wood of 14 tons a year, mostly a small piece at a time. I mean, this is a guilt-ridden sign, right? I mean, it's saying, you do this, you're messing up everything, so don't take any wood. I mean, 14 tons of little pieces of wood, that, that's a lot of wood taken, right? But the problem is they put the sign up and it didn't stop anything. People kept stealing the wood. And so after a while, they just they tried a different view, and they went to another path in the petrified forest, and they took that sign down. And so there's no sign. And then after a while, they discovered that that path with no sign, the theft of the wood declined by a third. And so the, the sign, no sign, less wood stolen. The sign, more wood stolen. And so the conclusion was... The sign made it sound normal. 
The, main, the, the sign made it sound like, well, everyone's doing it, right? Everyone's taking wood. It sounded popular to do. And so more people took the wood because of the sign that said, don't take the wood. To explain that one to me. But and it's the same. TV ads are the same thing. TV ads are less inclined to tell you about a product and why a product is good. But they're much more inclined to tell you this is the best selling product. Or it's the fastest growing in the, in the world, right? And if you hear it's best selling, if you hear it's the fastest growing, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I need that. Everyone's got one, right? And, and so they know that human nature tends to lead that way. Yeah, honestly, it's difficult as humans to take a path less traveled. Uh, but Jesus tells us in these verses of the wide road and the narrow road that this path, the path that's less traveled, the, the narrow road leads to a better life. It, it leads to an eternal life, a life that, that lasts forever and eternity with Him. I mean, that's good news, right? And you know, why are there so many people in the wide road, the one that leads to destruction, the one that, that leads away from eternal life? The problem is the wide road is the best-selling one, Right? It's the fastest growing one, it seems to be. And I feel like it's even more that way as time goes by. Uh, but Paul tells us that the popularity on earth that he was chasing after, he thought was success. He thought that what he was doing was the right road. But then he says this, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. Paul lost his friends. He, he lost everything he had from his life before to go on the narrow road. And he said, I consider them garbage of no value that I may gain Christ. When Jesus was on earth, the crowd seemed to really like him. Especially when he was doing miracles. When he was making the blind see, he was, he was healing your friend or your, or your father or somebody. The crowds gathered and they loved Jesus and, and imagine that Monday morning when well, the beginning of Easter for us he comes in on the donkey riding into Jerusalem and the crowds are cheering and and they love Jesus and, and there's something about it that day the word was spreading that Jesus could possibly maybe he was going to be the new king they were so excited about Jesus they shouted and they praised and, and what's interesting is you go from Monday to Thursday on Thursday, he goes to trial, and on Thursday, he's accused of, of heresy, and all of a sudden, the crowd that was cheering for him is so quickly influenced that they want him dead. They literally, the crowd chose Barabbas, a, a criminal, to be released instead of Jesus. And so the crowd goes from for him to completely against him. And as Jesus... When he was being crucified, he was put on the cross and he was put between two criminals. And mainly they did that at that time, basically to say he had no value. He was just like a common criminal. There's nothing special about him. He's not God, not the son of God. He's just a man. And so there he hangs between two criminals. And, and as he's hanging there between these two common thieves, people are insulting him everybody's insulting him. I actually went through the Gospels this week, the different parts here, and all the different people that were insulting Jesus. The rulers, 
the chief priests, the teachers of the law, these are all the religious leaders of the time. They're insulting him. They're saying all these horrible things. The soldiers that were, that were whipping him, hanging him on the cross, they're insulting him. <laughs> the people that are just passing by. Can you imagine walking by this scene and you hear everyone else shouting insults at Jesus? So what do you do with the crowd mentality? You shout some too. Why not insult them? And that's, that's what the crowd was doing. And then according to Matthew, the criminals on either side of Jesus were insulting him. And what I find amazing about that is when you're, when you're hanging on a cross, you, you don't die from the wounds that are inflicted. You die because you can't breathe. You suffocate to death. You're, you're, you go down and you, your diaphragm has to be lifted to breathe, and every time that you go down, you have to lift yourself back up, but to lift yourself up, you have to push on your feet, and their, their feet were nailed together like this with a nail between both feet and into the wood of the cross, and so they had to push on that nail with their broken and battered feet to push their diaphragm up just to speak, and so I find it amazing that these criminals would go through the trouble and the pain and the agony because everyone else is hurling insults, why not us? Now, Luke has a different take on it. Luke says that one of the criminals was insulting him. So you can imagine this criminal pushing with his feet in the pain and lifting up his diaphragm just to tell Jesus what a horrible person he was. But then the other criminal, he could have just been quiet, but he does the same thing. He pushes on his feet and the pain of that and he lifts his diaphragm and he basically this is my interpretation tells the other criminal shut up man what a, what a stupid thing to say we know we did something wrong we deserve this he did nothing wrong and he falls back down and then with all the strength he can muster he lifts his diaphragm again and he says jesus remember Think of that choice. Think of that decision that that criminal had to make that would immediately change his forever life because then Jesus does the same thing, pushing on his feet, lifting his diaphragm, assures this criminal that you will be with me in paradise this very night. One choice. Now, you and I, we're not hanging on a cross. We're, we're not in a place where people are going to punish us or, or persecute us. That's not where we are. But every day we have to make choices. And, and some of those choices will change our lives now. This choice changes our life forever. To know Christ will forever change our lives. That, to choose to know Jesus and to choose to follow Jesus is the most important decision that we can make, the life-changing choice. Megan's going to come up, and she's going she's gonna to play for us. And what I want, I'm going to read to you Paul's words to us. And, and as I read it, I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're just going to have a time that you can reflect on where you are. Uh, think about what path are you on? What choices do you need to make? Uh, listen to Paul's words. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're just going to take a moment, just you and Jesus. desire would be to know you. I thank you for loving us. Lord, I just pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. You are